good, great to see you this morning. My name is Neely. I'm one of the pastors here, if I haven't met you. <laughs> um, you know what? We're wrapping up the series on the power of ring. And you know what? I grew up in the church. I went to youth group pretty regularly. So I had heard on many occasions my youth pastor kind of uh, telling me how it, important it was that us Christian kids reached out to our non-Christian friends at school. And I wanted to please my leaders. I wanted to live up to that challenge. But I also was a teenager. So you know what that means. I'm uh, insecure, craving acceptance, and mostly irrational. You know, like that's who I was as a teenager. And so I was like, how do I do this? I'm afraid. This is so weird. What are people going to think about me? So I found what I felt was like the perfect compromise. Christian t-shirts. Yeah, you heard me. I said Christian t-shirts. My junior year of high school, I pledged to myself, I don't know why to myself, it was like a promise to myself, but that I was going to wear a Christian t-shirt one day, every day, every, uh, one day of every week. And so like even my junior year in my yearbook, I, I wore a Christian t-shirt. Now you can't see it because that picture is huge, but, um, but that one was this one, it had like this artistic like image of Christ on the cross, and it said one, W-O-N, by one. You know? It was amazing. And then I had this other one that was like an ocean scene, and it was like all these cartoon fish going this way, but the Jesus fish was going this way, and it said, go against the flow. Yeah. Yeah, but my all-time favorite was um, the next time the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Flames of fire. Yeah. <laughs> and here's the deal. While I cannot tell you any specific stories of life change, uh, let's just be honest, my reward will be in heaven. <laughs> you know, I got that going for me. I'm so thankful for leaders and pastors and friends who came along, who kind of coached me and helped me understand that there's like a more Jesus-like way to engage people. There's a more uh, maybe normal method for engaging people. But I think there comes a moment in every person's journey, uh, faith journey, where you understand, like, we are called to be bringers, inviters, um, evangelists. Maybe that, maybe that word scares you a little bit. But you look at Jesus' words, you look at Paul's writing to the early church, and you understand that we clearly have been invited to experience the power of bring. But also, at the same time, you've probably come into this moment where you're like, this is kind of a scary, unknown, what does this look like in real life? Does it mean I have to stand on the corner with a sign? How do I do this in real life? So we've been spending the last few weeks kind of unpacking this idea. And last week, Pastor Mike talked a lot about our story and writing out our story, understanding the power of our story and looking for opportunities to share our story. But I want to end this series with kind of coming back to Jesus. How did Jesus engage people? What can we learn from Jesus? And I want to look closely at uh, the longest recorded one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus had. In all of Scripture, in all the four Gospels, the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with anybody. And it's found in the book of John, and it's the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. 
So this encounter is really, really rich. There's so much truth, so much really deep truth in it. And so I think there's uh, some powerful things we can learn about this bring idea. So let's dive into it. You can follow along in your outline. You can open your Bible to John 4. You can follow along on the screen. Here's what it says. So he, Jesus, left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sakar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised. For, the, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? So I want to pause here. There's two significant things that I want to point out right away. Jesus, she says it actually. She says, look, I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman. These are really big deals. They're really big deal. They're, they're all the reason why we shouldn't be engaging uh, a little context is Samaritan and Jews, they had this long history of conflict and animosity towards each other. Samaritans were labeled idolaters. They were labeled uh, uh, hypocrites by the Jew. There's actually a famous uh, rabbi saying about Samaritans. This is what the Jews would say. May I never set eyes on a Samaritan. May I never be thrown into company with him. So you could say there's a bit of bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. So first, she's a Samaritan, and Jesus a Jew. Second, she's a woman. And I love this one commentary that I was reading. This is how it summarized it. The Jewish attitude toward women was less than ideal. Okay, we'll take it. But actually, much deeper than this less than ideal attitude was the law. And someone who wanted to observe the law, strictly follow the law, would be really wary of talking to a woman in public for two reasons. One, because of the laws of purity. And if you talk to a woman you don't know, you might be contaminated with the purity laws. And the second thing was you didn't want to appear to be too friendly with a woman because there, there could be some things uh, misconceived by that. And there's actually a, 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 a Pharisees would be known to close their eyes when they're passing women so as not to accidentally stumble into breaking the law. So here's this tension, a Samaritan woman that Jesus engages. And what does he do right in one swift moment? What does Jesus do? He wipes the barriers away. He wipes the race barrier away. He wipes, wipes the, the, the gender barrier away. Amen. So what does that mean for us? You could write this down. This is the first outline. It's go outside the lines. To experience the powers you, uh, the power you can have and bring, you have to be willing to step outside of the lines you're comfortable with. Maybe there's someone in your neighborhood who is different than you. And I, I want to encourage you to understand that your life is missing out. You are missing out on the richness of diversity of relationships. When you bring people who are different into conversations, you find that you experience new things. You begin to see the world in a new way. You're challenged to grow and understand. And I find that we are way too often afraid of different. But Jesus modeled for us that barriers should be and can be broken down. When I was in high school, 
uh, when I was in college, actually, I, I spent a semester abroad teaching English in Vietnam. And I went there, and I loved it. I taught kids from five years old to college-age students. And I, I became friends with my college-age friends uh, in, that I was teaching English. And they decided one night, they're like, we want to take you out on town. We want to give you, like, the food tour of Saigon. And I was like, I am in. I love food. This sounds amazing, right? So we, we go out hanging, and we're all on scooters, which is awesome. There's, like, three of us on one scooter. It's the most amazing adventure of your life. Um, and... We're going all over, and the first stop we go to, it's oysters. And we're like, schlucking them back. Is that what you say? I don't know. All I know is I don't like it. It's, it's not me. <laughs> but they're buying it for me, and I feel rude. So I, of course, I'm eating it. So, you know, what do I, you know, what do you do? You cover that thing with hot sauce. That's where I, my love for hot sauce began. Because anything is possible if it's spicy enough, you know? So you're throwing them back. And then we go to another spot, and we're talking, and they have broken English. I don't speak a word of Vietnamese. And they're asking me, like, um, do you eat duck in America? And I was like, yes, obviously we eat duck in America. What do you think of us? You know, like, and then they start to ask me another question, and I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. I don't understand. I'm so sorry. They're like, don't worry, we'll, we'll get you one. And I was like, oh, gosh, it already feels scary. And out comes a hard-boiled egg with a baby duck inside. And I was like, that's what you meant. And so, you know, again, not wanting to be rude because they've spent their money on me, their teacher. I begin to dig in, tearing poor little Huey and Louie apart. And I'm thinking, where is the sriracha when you need it? You know, like, I'm like, just taking that down for, for the team. I took one for the team in that moment. And it was outside my comfort zone, but here, here what, here's what I do want you to know about my college friends, that is that they became uh, people, we talked about faith, we talked about uh, Jesus, and in the country of Vietnam, in that time, that was a risky conversation to have. But we, bu we built this friendship, we went outside our comfort zones with each other, and I want you to know that those became defining moments for me. And Overlake, we, we're, we're big on missions here. We talk about missions a lot. In fact, there's an opportunity at any time, almost any time in the year, for you to experience going on a short-term mission team. And I would encourage you to check that out. They're actually in the hallway today. Have a conversation. What would it look like to go outside of your comfort zone? But the reality is, you and I know we actually don't need to even go around the world to go outside our lines. Right here in our community, there are people who are different than us. A few of my friends here at Overlake, they've been very intentional about building relationships with Muslims in their community. And see, while the hope is that, that this relationship would lead to an encounter with Jesus, that is not the end goal. The end goal is relationship. It's friendship. It's understanding that when we connect with people, things happen. When we build relationships, God moves. That's what we believe. That's what we see Jesus do here. Who in your neighborhood, in your workplace, is someone that is outside of your comfort zone that would require you to maybe step outside of your, your comfort zone, your lines? So what happens next? What does Jesus do? Let's go back to the passage Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? 
And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman says, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? The conversation went from, like, can I have a cup of water, to you have five husbands, very fast, very fast. The woman's probably like, that escalated much quicker than I was hoping. And here's just a little side, I think. Um, I want to say, Jesus can, he can get away with this conversation because he's got something going for him. He's God, right? So, like, let's keep that in mind as we engage people in conversation. Like, he can do that. Maybe we can't. But Jesus brings this woman into conversation first with a very simple question. And when she responds, he sees this opportunity that I can take it deeper. Jesus reveals some of who he is to this woman. He sees her need, he sees her story, and he understands that the promise of refreshing new life would be something she'd want to know more about. And then Jesus kind of turns up the heat on the conversation. He gives her a simple instruction that he knows is going to stop her in her tracks. And then he reveals her story. And you don't have to be a relational uh, therapist, a pastor, to know that this story is filled with shame, is filled with hurt, is filled with pain, embarrassment, rejection. This woman has known pain. And while John, the author of this book, doesn't tell us more about her story, we can make some assumptions based on this less-than-ideal view of women. Based on the time of day this conversation happens, most women would come earlier to the well when it wasn't so hot, but she has come later to avoid people. We can make some assumptions about her. We can assume that her story is probably well-known among her village that she's been the source of pain because she knows people are talking about her, that she's embarrassed and filled with shame. See, this woman's probably less of a Hollywood elite who goes through husband after husband and husband, and more likely a woman who would write a hashtag MeToo post. And just let me make a sidebar here that if you're wondering where Jesus would be hanging out, who he would be hanging out with if he were here right now. Let me tell you, he would be with the women who have been abused. He'd be hanging out with the oppressed. He would be among the women of Me Too. And Jesus, he knew her story. He understood how her story shaped her, how her story impacted even her very daily activities. He understood that she was a woman craving new life. And as we look to the experience the power of bring, it's important for us to keep in mind that we too need to understand people's stories. See, understanding requires listening. And if you want to build a relationship, if you want to experience life-changing conversations, we have 
to listen. We have to listen to gain understanding, to see how that person sees themselves. We have to listen to gain understanding, to understand how they see the world. We have to listen to gain understanding, to see how they see Jesus. We listen for opportunities to share our story. Pastor Mike talked about this last week. For a moment, an invitation, you hear something that gives way for you to share your own story. Listening requires patience. It requires, again, a commitment to the relationship, to the friendship. See, too many times we show up and say, let me speak at you, when really the invitation is to listen and experience the power of God. James said this, be slow to speak and quick to listen, quick to listen. Is there someone in your community who has a story to tell and they need someone to be willing to listen? And by listening, you gain understanding, and by gaining understanding, you discover a way to bring them into experiencing God's goodness. And as we continue this story, I love this woman, this, what this woman does. Like she senses, like she's overwhelmed with the information, and she does a classic, what I would say is classic American move, and she changes the ch- subject. She's like, well, very interesting. You must be a prophet. How about deep theological truths? You know, like, I, I, I find myself doing that sometimes when people are asking questions, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to tell you this information. Isn't it so cold today? Like, every time the weather is so good here in Washington. It's raining. Isn't that surprising? You know, like, like you know how to change the conversation. And this woman does it. She changes it. And here's what's interesting is that Jesus honors her need for rest. He honors that she needs a break from this conversation. He doesn't keep pushing. He honors it. So let's read what he says. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman. And let's, just, let's acknowledge like how to hear such a hard truth about your life to be followed up by a gentle person saying, dear woman, what a gift. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I'm the Messiah. Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask it. What do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, I mentioned that this is the longest recorded conversation, and there is so much good stuff in it. There's a lot of deep theological truths that we don't have time to unpack today. But I do want to point out a few things, that in this passage, Jesus actually shows, is quite a gift to answer her question. He gives her the deep truth of this question. And he, he also reveals truth about himself. And this is actually the first account in the book of John where Jesus makes this declaration, I'm the Messiah. And he only makes that declaration a limited amount of times uh, in the book of John. And here it is 
He makes it the first time with a woman who is an outsider, who has a messy story. And what does Jesus do? He says, listen, just you and me, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you're waiting for. And I I just think, man, there's so much power in that reality. Not only does he give her information about himself, he gives her a break from the the conversation being focused on her and her story, and he shows her compassion. Have you ever thought about the voice you hear scripture in your head? Like, maybe I'm just weird in that way, but the reason I ask is, I think about this woman and how she responds when the disciples come back. First of all, they come back and they're like, what is she doing? You know, like that is kind of a weird dynamic we should talk about someday, but um, we're not going to today. But she leaves, she senses their attitude and she goes, but to what? She goes back to her village and she's like, listen, everyone, I've met the Messiah and here's how I know he told me everything I've ever did. Now, Maybe I'm different, but if I sat down in a conversation one-on-one with someone and we had a conversation, this person told me all the things I've ever did wrong, first of all, a very long conversation. Second of all, I don't know that I'm like, yes, everybody, this guy knows my stuff. You know, like that's not how it plays out for me, right? Unless, unless it's the most caring, kind, forgiving gentle conversation. See, I wonder if we haven't read this conversation, this dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, and we've read into it judgment, where there's actually love. We've heard the voice of judgment, but actually it's kindness and love. I mean, this woman's so excited. She wants to invite everyone to meet the Messiah. It actually reminds me of a quote from the first week of this series, and I don't want to ruin the quote, but it's, it's Mike Howerton quoting Mike Howerton, so here it is. Yes, there it is. Where there's excitement, there is bringvitement. <laughs> I think we see it firsthand in this story. This woman, she's excited. She's in this messy life space. Her life is messy. And what is she? She's excited to find someone who knows her, who encou- she's encountered someone who has left her feeling loved, not judged. It reminds me of a Christmas song that we sing, one of my favorites, Oh Holy Night, and I feel like there's so much really richness in that song, but there's this one simple line that I feel like we sing over so quickly. The line is, his law is love. His law is love. And I think in order to experience the power of of bring, we need to transform judgment into love. Judgment into love. When I first started serving in a youth group when I was uh, in my young 20s, I served at a church in Everett, and I was placed with what was called the challenging girl group. And some of these girls were, to this day, some of the most difficult um, teenagers I've ever worked with. I pretty much got cussed out every time we were together. Um, They were really mad. Uh, I had one girl who... uh, My whole job with her, we were not so much at this point concerned with life transformation with her. We were concerned that she didn't disrupt service by yelling out profanity. So my job was to make sure that didn't happen. She was actually in a court-ordered anger management. It was very, it was like, I was, I was like, okay, you want me to do that? Okay, you know, I got it. Sure, you know. Um, but one night she said, hey, can you give me a ride home? And I was like, yeah, that's great. This is, we can, maybe I can get to know you a little bit better. This is perfect. So she's in my car, and we pull up to her house, and she says, okay, here's what I have to do. I have to call my mom and have her open the door, and then I'm going to bolt it. And I was like, 
okay, okay, if that's what you have to do. So she calls her mom, her mom opens the door, and she gets out of my car, and she runs so fast into the house and slams the door. So later, I'm like, what was that all about? And she's like, well, there's like four or five kids in my neighborhood who really want to beat me up. And I was like, here's this kid who cusses me out, and I've always made her this angry, unruly teenager when really she's just a scared little girl. And I would love that I could tell you that her her story is transformed and this amazing story of how she was changed, but I can't. But actually, the amazing story I get to tell you is that I was transformed. See, I think it's easy to judge people. I think it's easy to judge them. It's especially easy to judge teenagers. They are, they are messy, and they are so hurt and wounded, and they, they can't even imagine that a caring adult would look them in the eyes and say, you're loved and you're worthy to be loved. They can't imagine it because they're so used to every other adult in their life judging them. But she changed my perspective. She changed how I see people. Reggie Joyner, he's an author who writes books for people who work with teenagers. He said this, Some of us have been so programmed to see sin in people that we've forgotten how to see the image of God in them. See, you and I, we've been trained to judge, but Jesus is inviting us to love. Judgment and shame, they are, man, they are great tools for behavior modification. They're great tools for that. They are not great tools for connection and feeling connected to another person. They are not great tools to reveal to a person that they are loved by a God. See, love connects people. Love invites people into relationship. Paul says in Romans, it is your kindness, God, that leads us to repentance. Another way, this author says, love is the easiest way of evangelism. See, the stories of people finding faith, the people that having lives being transformed because they got in a yelling match with a Christian about their sin are rare, in fact, probably non-existent. 1 Corinthians says it this way, if you can use your words to communicate to the whole earth, but you don't love them, you're like a noisy gong because it's judgment. People can't hear it. The stories of people experiencing Jesus because someone loved them, even when they were messy or living out of their brokenness, those are the stories of God's power. They are the stories of people encountering the love of a God through another human being loving them. Who in your community, who, who are the people in your life who, who they bring up judgment for you? Who, do, who stirs that up? The challenge would be, how do you replace that judgment with love? How do you choose love instead? So how does this story end? It says this, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. They said, we believe because you first. And then we heard for ourselves, which is, it's just a great reminder in this, this power of bring is this, that you and I, there is a part we play, but in the end, it's God who does the work. It's God who does the work. 
One conversation with one woman changed an entire village. Jesus invited an outsider, a broken and hurting woman, into a conversation, and that conversation led to multiple lives being changed. As we wrap up this series, I want to invite you to consider the opportunities all around you to experience the, the power of bringing. Bringing people into your life, bringing people into conversation, bringing people along to experience the goodness of God. See, it will be transforming first for you and, for, and then for the other, but also for our community. So would you consider seeing people in your lives? Would you see those who are outside the line? And would you consider what would it take to go outside, to understand them, to understand them, to turn that judgment into love? And would you watch God move in them and move in you? Let's pray. Jesus, I am so grateful for your goodness, for your love. I'm grateful that you see us in our mess and our brokenness. And instead of uh, judging, you offer us love. You offer us kindness. God, I pray for all of us that we would begin to see with eyes um, of love, of, of opportunity to see the people around us who, who maybe are different than us but so badly need someone to engage with them, need someone to love them, need someone to invite them along. God, we believe that you are the Messiah and that our hope is in you, so we trust you to do the work. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.